Our hero this week is a Scottish BAFTA-nominated composer whose landscape of work is truly rare and epic. We could base that on over the 30 million gamers who basked in the sunlight of his soundtracks for decades, or we just might ask them what their favorite game is, and chances are it was his melody behind your moods during those amazing N64 days, playing GoldenEye 007, Perfect Dark, Banjo-Kazooie, Donkey Kong 64, or maybe you heard some of his soundtracks as the games got larger in scale and more complex when you played them for PC, when you were playing Civilization, Beyond Earth, Rising Tide, Viva Pinata, Ukulele, Kingdoms of Amalur, or even Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. And all of that is just scratching the surface of his amazing work. So we are so honored and pleased to have him on the podcast Grant Kirkhope, thank you so much for being here. That makes me sound much better than I am. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! No, it's uh, it's just a great it's a great honor to have you, Grant. And I'd love to kind of start this whole thing with um, how you started. Were you always into music? I started playing recorder. I think at four. Wow. Three or four. But I think that you know it's just when I went to school in the UK. Um, first of all, my mum and dad. My mother was a dancer. She danced on the stages in Edinburgh, wow. in Scotland. My dad was like a, a, a works manager at a steel plant, but he was a very um, musical guy. So, you know, he, uh, and they were massive music fans. So in those back in there, I mean, their things were like, you know, Frank Sinatra and Glenn Miller and the big band. So I knew oh, a lot of classic. that. Classic. When, when I was super young, I knew all of Frank Sinatra's songs, or lots of them and lots of the big band stuff, you know. So and so I went to school and they, they said, he's a recorder, it was 15 shillings at the time, back in the 60s, where it was. So um, I just put my hand up because I thought, well, I want to do it. I don't know why. And then a bit late to the camera with a cornet about when I was about six and uh, in, in a shopping basket, it was a shopping bag, it was. And it just, it just said, uh, anybody want to play this? And I put my hand up first and got the, got the cornet. And then, so I started playing trumpet about, you know, six and then, you know, went all the way through school and then, you know, did the kind of classical training thing. And then I ended up at the, uh, I started playing guitar about 12. So I'm kind of a self-taught kind of metal, metal guitar player. Wow. So um, that kind of rock guitar, I did that. So I ended up at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester when I was 18, doing a four-year music degree. And that was at, uh, that was at RNCM? Royal Northern College of Music, yeah. So and On then, Oxford um, Road there, that's That's right, I, yeah, so that's right, I, yeah, that's right there, yes, well done, yeah. And then um, I kind of finished that at 22, and then I kind of spent the next 11 years on and off unemployment benefit, really, playing in bands um, for that 11 years. Some of the bands I played for did all right, some of the bands did terrible, so... Some on guitar, some on trumpet. And then I got to like 33. I had one of my friends, um, Robin Beanland, who we played in bands together in North Yorkshire. Um, he and I actually got a job. And I was like, you know, none of my friends got jobs. We all just kind of, you know, played in bands and spent time on unemployment and all that, you know, that kind of thing for years and years and years. He said, I'm going to go look at Rare as a composer. I was like, oh, that's a job. He said, yeah. So I'd been there about a year. He'd been there about a year and a half, and he said to me, "You know, Greg, you've been on and off unemployment for about eleven years. It was hard. I was still living on my mother at thirty-three. He said, you know, why don't you try and do what I'm doing?" I was like, "Well, I guess I could try." So he recommended some equipment that I could buy: a synthesizer, Cubase, bits and pieces that I put together. The last thousand pounds to my name, and um, I spent sort of nineteen ninety-four over that course of that year learning how to work. I sent Rare five cassette tapes over the course of that year. I never got a reply. And then out of the blue, I got a letter saying, please come and interview. And I got the job. Did you believe it? So absolute fluke. So if, if Robin had done it, if Robin had not gone and done it, I would never have done it. Wow. So it's all down to Mr. Robin Beanland. He's kind of, I guess he kind of changed my life, really. 
<laughs> that's incredible. That's incredible. And uh, you know those uh, those old bands you were talking about that you you traveled with and you you experimented with. And I, I was trying to find some of them. Uh, I was actually jamming out to Zoot and the Roots earlier. Yeah, that ba- yeah, that band did okay. Really, it was like a that was a proper working band. We probably did four gigs a week for like seven years, a long time. Um, and it was a proper working. We played all over the UK, quite a lot of Europe. Um, Zoot were a very kind of well-known band in the UK. We just never quite got a deal. But um, we actually got offered a deal once, but turned it down, which I thought was a mistake at the time. But there we go. But, um, but yeah, so that was a very kind of popular. And then I played for Little Angels, who were like a quite a big UK rock band. They had a number one album. And we ended up, you know, they could, they could headline tour in the UK. Uh, and then um, we ended up doing opening, we were the opening act for a six-week Bon Jovi tour around Europe, a six-week Van Halen tour around Europe. Uh, Brad Adams played with him, ZZ Top. Um, they did a lot of big, those big arena shows, like, you know, 90,000 people, you know, as the, as the opening act, not the, not the main act, but the opening act. Yeah. So the Bon Jovi tour was great. The Van Halen tour was great. I mean, you know, the, doing those things is amazing. Do you still, you know, dabble in live music like that? Do you still go on the road or you just, uh, do you miss it at all? I do miss it, I think, because, uh, you know, I, I think you miss that. The excitement of those big shows is incredible. Even if you're just doing an act, it's still incredible. Playing to, like, you know, the, the Mannheim Stadium in Germany with Bon Jovi and Billy Idol, it was like 90,000 people. You know, we did, we, play, we played the old Wembley Stadium with Brad Adams. It was sold out, you know, 77,000 people. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, to do these giant numbers, it's just, I guess you get a bit blasé, but, you, you know, it's super exciting to do something of that, of that size. It's just that great big rock and roll production. It's just, you know. Yeah, um, that magnitude too. Yeah, that's, that's, it's that's phenomenal, great. really. Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't really like playing now, though. I think I might, although I, we're talking about different lights. I mean, I'm talking about playing with Dave Wise. Dave Wise does, um, you know, does gigs and stuff. So we're, I'm talking about maybe doing some stuff with him. So, uh, what's we'll to see? You never know. Yeah, what's to see? That's that sounds good. That sounds real good. Well, I, I, uh, I'd love to to start playing a few of your uh, cues. Um, and we could just chat about them if that's all right. Sure. This song was the first song that you actually were able to play for me. (laughs) This is great, too. Now, you played this on the ukulele for me. Oh, did I? Yeah. 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 That is uh, Click Clock Wood. And if you could, share with us just a few memories of creating this uh, iconic tune. So when um, we were at Rare and we were doing the, the game Dream before it turned into Banjo, right? It was Dream, first of all. Uh, and um, I'd written like 107 pieces of music to Dream, and quite a lot of those got scrapped because we just turned it into Banjo. And Dream was more of a kind of RPG, you know, as opposed to Banjo as a platform. So I remember... When we, it switched to Dream, I said to Banjo, they said to me, you know, what?" because I guess I was still quite new at Rare, right? So they said to me, you know, could, could you write us a, just a kind of jolly platform tune to show you can do it, really? So that was the first thing I came up with. Uh, I wrote that. With, it, was, it wasn't for any level. It's just a general tune I wrote that I thought was a kind of jolly platform tune. Uh, and then... And we started the game, and you got started with the game. One was about and another. But when it came to, to Click Clock Woods, I thought, you know, that tune I wrote, or what, you know, must have been a year and a half ago, whatever it was. So I thought it might quite fit that level. So I dug it out of the uh, folder and uh, rejigged it a little bit 
and uh, that's 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 the tune that ended up on that level. So it was a I didn't write it for that level. Uh, I just wrote it for as a general jolly platform tune that I thought it fitted the level, so it used it in the end. So that's how that one came around. Wow! So sort of as like a like almost an audition sample. Yeah, sort of. I guess yeah, because I guess I'd done quite a lot of music for the dream, but they sort of said, "Let's hear you write a platform tune." I guess they, were, they didn't think I could do it. They didn't know I could do it. You know. So. Well, you certainly showed them. I mean, this is just a, I mean, this song gets stuck in my head all the time, randomly. I'm sitting at the grocery store, you know, and I'm just starting humming it. And I'm like, where did they come from? Oh, yeah. The recesses of my mind. That's terrific. I think so. I think sometimes, you know, when you write things that are super simple, like that is really simple. Sometimes it's the best option. But I do feel like as composers, sometimes we do tend to try to write very complex pieces of music, lots of complex orchestration. And a lot of the time, people don't want to hear that. They want to hear that simple thing they can whistle at the grocery store, you know. So. Okay, terrific. Well, here, let's just let's just crack on. There's a, couple, there's a few more here. And we're going to kind of jump a little bit out of order for a few reasons. When I uh, first uh, played this game as a young man, I—I uh, I mean, I thought it was serious. This is this is like serious gaming. All of a sudden, yeah. I felt like a spy. I felt like I was in the universe. You know, every game I had played before that had some sort of—I don't know—felt like kind of a safety net of you know this kind of comicy, cartoonish feel, but. This did not have that. This was this was serious, and I felt like I was a real spy infiltrator. Um, I, I, what was your what was your take on that? Did you just want to go in seriously with this uh, this piece, treating it almost like a movie? Yeah, and I suppose you know I've done uh, I, I, I've done you know Golden Eye by that point, and I've done Banjo Kazooie, and then when doing that during writing Perfect Dark, I was also writing on working on Banjo Tooie and Donkey Kong sixty four at the same time. So I did three games at the same time then. Uh, oh which is a bit, I know, a bit tricky that one, a bit of a tricky year well, or so. How do you keep all that in your head? That's wild. Well, that's, yeah, so I guess that's why Perfect Dark, I think, came at this the way it was, because it was so different to DK64 and Banjo-Tooie. And in my mind, Banjo-Tooie was the jolliest. DK64 was slightly darker, because I felt like Day Wise's soundtracks from DK, the DKC games were a little bit darker. So I could look at that, I could kind of compartmentalize it. So really jolly for Banjo and quirky, dark, a little bit darker for DK. And from, from Perfect Dark, but at the time, you know, X Files was massive at the time. So I liked the X Files, the X Files soundtracks, and um, you know, and I guess also the kind of Blade Runner thing. You know, I like that the soundtrack of that movie a lot. So I was just trying to do that with Perfect Dark, and you know, it's it's fun writing something that was you know, uh, sneak around and aliens and you know all that kind of gadget stuff that she does. I mean, it's, it was you know, and like I loved writing that music for Perfect Dark. It was 
Oh, that's so wonderful. And and the inspiration of the piano. Uh, there, there's a little, I don't know. It, I mean, it's just me, right? Is there a little Jaws in there? A lot of times in, in those kind of movies, you, you get that kind of really low down piano doing stuff. So I was just trying to emulate that. So it really, it really just a random thing. I just went, you know, I was, there was no like kind of set thing behind it. I just thought it sounded good. So I just kind of tapped it in. Um, and I, th- I thought it really, it, it gives you that secret agent sneaking about thing you know i think it feels like that with, with the piano gives it that real kind of you know that nature you know well that uh secret agent segue goes into uh you know obviously one of these in- incredible games that you've done right gold and i i don't know if you've seen this but i would love to see your reaction to this this is this is somebody who thinks they were you they right. impers- they impersonated you on the internet here i just wanted to see how that pause music well, now, keep in mind, this is a movie tie-in video game for the Nintendo <laughs> 64. Not looking for anything too crazy. What do you think about this? <laughs> My question is to you is... <laughs> Did it happen just like that? No. Uh, um, it was like, it took me like 20 minutes, 15 minutes to write it, really. I mean, like, it was like one of those things you just, because when, when you have to write a pause tune, you just don't, I don't think you think much about it. It's one of the things that people press pause and, you know, they go and make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, come back and get on with the game, you know, whatever. So I'll go to the bathroom, or I don't know. So I feel like um, you don't want to give any thought, really. You just kind of get something that's in the, in, in the vein of the game, has the mood of it and you know that's how you think about it really. so it's bizarre that it's become this kind of tiktok sensation that everyone thinks i'm the grandfather of trap music i, I don't even know what trap music is um you know it's a little bit weird so but you know it's super it's super humbling that people like it but it's these things are weird it's a bit like you don't know you know those those kind of viral moments that you get you, you can never predict it. it could be anything um I was watching the, the LA Lakers, the, the, the basketball team we play here in LA. They use that when they when they try to dribble out the clock at the end. They play that. Uh, wow! And at, at, at the arena, which is like incredible. I didn't even know they did that. Oh, that's um, a, that's amazing. I didn't know that either. Do you you don't yeah. get any royalties for that at all? Do you? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's going to go after. Let, let's see. But I mean, it was a weird thing that um, that tune. I mean, I guess that and the DK rap are those two things that kind of. Um, I've got a little bit of a life of their own, and I feel like a DK rap even more so. Now it's in the Mario movie; it's all over TikTok. People are usually all over the place, you know. Oh yeah, um, it, it's it's gone yeah. viral. It's crazy. So, yeah, so I feel like of all the music that I've written in my career, it's the the Golden Eye Pause music and the DK rap of my teeth. You know, not my best work, but you know, there you go. Wow, isn't that something? And that's you know, it's it's definitely up there in the Hall of Fame. You know, we've got uh, a few a few pause music that. You know, people, you're right. They they pause it, and sometimes there's no – in fact, most of the time, there's no music at all. You know, they actually freeze the game. But uh, I don't know. I, th- I think that um, you just have a way. You just have a way of just keeping the entire game entertaining, even the pause music, which was great. And I think in the olden days, we just always wrote pause music. It was just a thing, you know. So we just did that. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. I I'm, I'm so grateful for this. You know, I'm so grateful <laughs> for, the, for that pause music because, you know – it would be in our household. It would be like, "Hey, it's lunchtime. Pause the game, take a break." And you pause it. And you let that stuff run. You let that right. music run. It was just great. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing. I, I, some of these things take off. You just never know, do you? 
No, you know, you know, you never know. And uh, when you moved a little bit further down in your career, and you're you're scooting all in the line, people are starting to recognize you, like for all these amazing things, and you are stepping into more and more complex games. This uh, Kingdoms of Amalur is just like. I mean, this is where that that old trumpet stuff and all your brass <laughs> section comes back. I mean, this is so epic. Can we can we listen to just a, a second of this? This is sure. that one went so it's quite a uh, good deal after after a, a while not over for ages that's good how oh, well I'm, I'm glad we could listen to it together that that when i first oh. saw the troll in this game you know it was just like troll you know like this is the this is that moment where it's that yeah. boss fight music you know you need something Man. thunderous and and dangerous and uh an epic wow you you just nailed it you totally nailed it well, i think i think when i did this game right i think it was the first time I'd done something that was of that scale, like sort of orchestra-wise, it was a very big orchestra. So, and I kind of thought I need to prove to myself that I can actually do it. So, um, it was a real kind of turning point in my career. I, I, in my own head, I, I, it was like, I, "Can I really do something like this? Have I got that ability?" So, the first boss piece that I wrote for that game was was Baylor, B B A L O R, and it's a really quite all over the place technical, you know, orchestra thing. So. I, so I was trying to prove to myself I could do it. And I was, I thought, you know what? I think I can. You know, it worked out all right. And so, you know, the game got quite recognized at the time for the soundtrack, which, which was quite, you know, it was very, very humbling for people to, 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 to like it. And a few of the kind of movie review people picked up on it, which is quite interesting, you know. Um, and I, th- I felt like it, I proved to myself that, you know, because at the, at the time I was thinking I was living in Baltimore, I wanted to move to LA. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, can I, I want to do some movie stuff, you know. I thought, well, I need to prove to myself that I can actually write that kind of epic movie music, you know. So, but literally for the for the four years that I worked on that game, I listened to the first three Harry Potter soundtracks by John Williams in the car every day. And I'm not joking, it was every day. And my wife was so sick of hearing the Harry Potter soundtracks. My kids were like, just, put, just pulling their hair out. But that's, I, so I, kind of, I was trying to learn how to write that kind of music of that scale and try to, you know, in my own little way, try to, Get some of that John Williams magic into that. I'm not sorry I did it because he's he's a you know he's a he's a, he's a legend, you know. But um, but like um, I tried my hardest. I was trying. So I kind of felt like that those Harry Potter soundtracks, the first three that he wrote, um, were my kind of textbook that I would learn from every day. So whenever I was in the car, that music was on. Just went round and round. And I'm not joking. Four years it went round and round and wow. round and round. Oh my goodness. Um. So uh, you know, I tried to pick up some of that magic. So that's and I you know and I felt like. Magic aside, I felt like I proved to myself that I could write music at that scale. Uh, I think before that. I- wow. And and before that, were you a 
kind of a solo or, you know, a solo with a few assistants or whatever uh, type of composer, kind of doing it on your own? Or? So I've, all, I've always been on my own. I've never had any employees at all. Everything I write comes from me. There's no one else apart from me. There's just Grant Kirkup. That's it. I don't have a team of people. To this day, it's just me. Um, so, um, you, you know, you just have to get on with it. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So are you walking into a room with, with a bunch of musicians with your sheet music and saying, this is what I want to do? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like, um, so I did use a uh, live orchestra for Viva Pinata. That was the first time I used live orchestra. I was at, well, I stood at Rare. You know, so I write my music very much in kind of score order. It looks like a score, like, you know, piccolos and, and flutes and woodwind first, and it's in the right order, you know. So but I use an orchestrator to turn it into note parts for the for the player so i mean i could do that but it would take a lot of time um and i've done it for a while I mean, i'm classically trained so i could write it but I just most people these days use an orchestrator so you'll write the parts out you'll, you'll really not write the parts you'll do all the music and give them a mini file all the rest of it, and they'll put it they'll make they'll make part proper parts out of it and then you know you turn up but we did it in prague at the um city of prague philharmonic symphony orchestra that was not city of prague philharmonic orchestra not symphony orchestra and uh, we did it there. That's a, I believe I used the same orchestra for the for Kings of Amalon, the same orchestra. Oh, Prague, wow. So. Same orchestra. That's fantastic. Yeah, so we went back to those guys because I knew them. By that point, I knew them well and they were great. Oh, we also did, also we did Banjikas Units and Bolts with them as well. So wow, we, okay. You know, so we, so they were, we, knew that, we knew that they were a good bunch of people and we got along with them and it worked out great. Um, so um, I've actually just been recording there two weeks ago remotely for something else I'm doing right now. So we kind of still got a relationship with that orchestra. That's fantastic. Yeah, they, they were great. So, you know, you know, and I guess as a composer, there's no greater moment than being in a room full of people playing music, right? I mean, you know, we do it with samples and sample libraries, but there's nothing like real people. Real pe- real human beings just do things that sample libraries don't, not with, without a lot of tweaking. Human beings just do natural things, you know, that, you know, ebb and flow and all the rest of it that do music. So nothing like real people. <laughs> Grant, this is going great. And speaking about your path and and discovering all these different uh, ways to succeed, it reminds me of another podcast. And I would just like to take a minute to share with our listeners about this episode three that I listened to uh, with this incredible woman who's a coder and a game designer and a musician. It's it's awesome. The, The appropriately named podcast is called What the Hell is My Job? And it pulls back the curtain with these short, little anonymous and lighthearted insights into the lives of working people. So after listening to just a few episodes, which are very succinct, by the way, they're like only 10 minutes long, very short and fun. It helps you understand their attitudes towards certain careers, their desires for that work-life balance that we're all trying to get and where they come from and where, where they're going in their employment lives. I mean, look, in this day and age, people need to be multi-talented, multitasking, and have an entrepreneurial spirit just to survive. And I listened to this uh, this particular episode on the podcast, episode three of What the Hell is My Job? And it gives you this bite-sized look into this career that this woman is is manufacturing, right? She's doing underground music and secret. She's doing the like demo creation stuff for one client while she's modding Warcraft 3 maps. And she's even exploring 3D animation. So you all got to check this one out. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. uh, And all their episodes are available on their website at whatthehellismyjob.com. 
I'll drop the link in the description below and y'all can uh, check it out. And you can even get them on buymeacoffee.com, especially if you like the podcast, go and support them. You know, so, hey, thank you, Grant, for uh, for allowing me to just take a moment and uh, and chat about that. I'm really excited about their podcast, and I wish them all the luck in the world. Now, where were we? And you know, you can tell on Viva Pinata and on uh, uh, especially Kingdoms of Amalur, it's like, I mean, it really feels like you're playing an epic movie. It fe- it feels more like a movie than a game. Yeah, I really tried to do that, especially in the cinematic sequences. I really tried to think. I was trying to prove to myself I could do it. I was like, if you know, if I, do, if I ever get offered a movie, in, if I do, you know, can I do it? So I kind of, I was really trying to make it more movie esque. I think, yeah, Almost more, or more cinematic, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I was super happy with that soundtrack. It turned out great. And you were nominated for uh, best score for uh, for a video game or interactive media by the International Film Music Critics Association and in the Q Awards. Uh, for best overall score and uh, best video game score uh, for best breakout composer. Is that? I know. Yeah, that was crazy. Like, I, then that was, I mean, I didn't think people would notice the soundtrack really, but it got, as I say, some of the movie review guys picked up on it, which was like really um, just amazing for me, you know, to think that they looked at it and listened to it. So and I got, you know, getting, I mean, I, I, I didn't get any win thing, but I got nominated. Hey, that's, so, I mean, oh, it's, you're, you're, you know, the few among many and, and you, <laughs> you, you scaled, uh, beyond all of them. Congratulations. That's just wonderful. And yeah, it was great. I really, yeah, it was a great time that was. And, uh, and since we're, we're talking about Viva Pinata, let's just have a listen to, uh, one of these amazing, uh, cues here. Beautiful! Oh my goodness! <laughs> I love Ryan. I love Ryan Bupinato. It was right on my street. That was. Oh my goodness! It, it nearly brings me to tears because it's just so. <laughs> it's just so peaceful and full of life and creation and and uh, whimsical. Just feel. I. That's just beautiful. And I'm like, actually, actually, about that tune up when I was getting married, I decided that. In the UK, you have a bit. You have to go up and sign the documentation in, in the ceremony, right? It's a, I guess it's the actual contract, you know. And I thought, I thought, you know, usually by that point, people play something. I thought I'll write something, so I wrote that tune for when my wife and I went off to sign the register and came, you know, in that little thing. So I wrote it for that, and then when it came to the game, I thought, you know what, that tune's, you know, um, I should use it, and so I brought it, I brought it into the game and used it in the game. Um, so I wrote it before I was even at Rare. No, I'll tell you what, I was at Rare when I wrote it because I, I got married in when I was when I stood at Rare. But I did, you know, it was a piece that I wrote to use just for my wedding. Um, but um, I brought it. I, you know, like writing the music of Viva Pinata was like it was just it was a, a massive joy for me. I got to write some really just nice, tuneful music with with live orchestra. It was just it was just fun. It was fantastic, you know. And like 
I feel like I'm a big fan of that kind of 20th century English music that kind of, I think it's 20th century, 19th century, whatever, but like Vaughan Williams and Elgar and that, those kind of those kind of classic British composers. And I'm not sad I'm anything apart from those two guys, but I was trying to capture the thing that they, that kind of typically British thing, you know, yeah. British, British country guard. I don't, I don't know what you call it, but it, they spoke to me like that. So I just wanted to try to write something that I thought was, you know, in that ilk. Uh, and uh, it was a it was a real joy to write that write those two games. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I really liked that. Oh, wow! I, and that's so it's so wonderful to learn that uh, you wrote it for your wedding. It just right. feels <laughs> it just feels like love. It's what it feels like. It feels right. like a you know, and you know that's what that game is all about. It's all about creating a beautiful farm, creating all these animals to get together and and uh, and and procreate and be happy. And it's right. just a it's a beautiful. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Well yeah, done. No, no, I really loved. I, mean, I loved writing that music. It was great. I guess it kind of hyped up my career, my in my own eyes, you know, kind of thing. Well, sure, and and also I think it 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 bled into the actual critics, right? They, this is the one you were nominated for the BAFTA for, right? Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was for me to get nominated for a BAFTA is just like astonishing. Um, you know, it was like Jesus Christ, I couldn't believe it. So that was just amazing. Wow. Wow. And uh, any any unique uh, stories about, uh, you know, you, you said you use the same group of people. Uh, it sounds like just continually because you had a good working relationship with them. Was this your first time working with this uh, team? Yeah. So, that, yeah. So that was the first time I went, with, uh, went to Prague for the, because would you, uh, Stephen Burke was at, at Rare. He'd used the Prague guys for Cameo. So, and then, uh, and I was just, I was just, Finishing up grabbed by the Ghoulies, so we could have used it for them, but I feel like we're a bit late. So the first time that Rare went to live orchestra was for Cameo, and then the next time was for the Upanyata, and then Nuts and Bolts. So um, we went to, for that. And, like, you know, as I say, we'd, I'd been to the recordings for Cameo. I spent a day there. Just Steve was doing the whole thing, and then I went back myself, you know, for, for uh, the Upanyata later. So I knew the guys there. So, um, you know, you know when you get a when you get a good working relationship, why break it? It's like you know, it's like all of those things that if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So yeah. <laughs> um, we had a great time in Prague. James Fitzpatrick and Nick Rayner. James Fitzpatrick was a kind of contractor. Nick Rayner was a conductor and the orchestrator. Uh, and uh, you know, a great bunch of people at Prague at Smeky Studios. And uh, we just, um, you know, it, I just felt like that. And I guess some, because we've been a few times, you start to actually write for the players. You know who. Which players you're going to get? You see, oh, the bassoon plays great. Let's write some solos for him. Or the flute plays great. Or the, va- the lead violin plays great. You, you start to pick out people that you think you do some solos or whatever. You know, so um, I think it was a, you know, as I say, getting people to play your music for a composer is just astonishing. Like wow. when they pick, when they played that very first piñata, I think it's called Island Paradise. I think it's the first tune up in that game. Like you know, everyone's in tears. Well, I am. You know, uh, it's just one of those. Just, to, just you can't put it into words. It's just. Truly amazing. I heard um, a little bit of a of a of a tale about this next uh, we're gonna next game we're gonna talk about, uh, which is Mario and Rabbit's uh, Kingdom Battle. Right. I mean, this is. I mean, you've worked on. See, I feel like you worked on these amazing titles that became amazing titles after you worked on them, but this franchise is an already established Mario Rabbids. It's like a whole thing. It's like a huge. Yeah. machine already so to get called to do this is like i mean that's like receiving the call no totally yeah, uh, it was spectacular it really was wow okay well here let's let's take a listen to this uh this amazing another amazing cue from grant kirko <laughs> this is just so great <laughs> 
The xylophone, you're just flexing so many muscles, in the, in, especially in this in this track. But like on this entire soundtrack, there's so many things that you're doing here with the strings and those those just beautiful uh, brass section. You're just swelling it in. It's it's masterful. It is masterful. I think as a as a brass player, right, as a trumpet player, I like to use a lot of brass. I think sometimes composers might get a bit scared of it, but I like to use it because I'm a brass player. I feel like I know how it works. So uh, I deal to do a lot, a lot of that. And I also feel like that track was, like Davide Soliani, who's the creative director at Ubisoft Milan, um, he's, you know, he's a big Banjo Kazooie fan. So he said it'd be nice to have a tune that's a bit in the Banjo vein. So that's, I kind of feel like that's that one that's in the Banjo. It's got like a lot of Banjo Kazooiness to it, that tune. I, I used the Marimba and the Xylophone, you know, you know, cause it's like that, that, that features in Banjo Kazooie quite a lot. So I felt like it was one of those, I should just go for it, Banjo. So it's, it's kind of the most Banjo-ish tune in that game. Um, and it's like this, I'm going to look at my Spotify. I can look at the Spotify numbers because I've got, I've got the artist profile. That's always a, that's the most popular track in that game. That's usually my top five on uh, Spotify or the other, the other streamers. People like that one, I guess, because it's got that banjo in this to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, there's so much to it as well because you have the personality of both games in there. I mean, you right. know, you do that throughout the soundtrack, but you, this particular song. It's just woven so artfully. You even get the wah, 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 you know, <laughs> the, that, that rabbit's comic book style thing in there, which is just like, I mean, it just hits the notes perfectly. It's, it's, uh, it's comical. It's epic. It's fun. And in a turn based game, this is an exciting, an exciting, thrilling, uh, song to, to, to put in there because turn based games, you know, they, they, they can fall flat sometimes, you know, so they have to be, uh, engaging. Yeah, I think like when, you know, when the game, it got leaked a little bit early and people, you know, when people were like Mario plus Rabbids, they're like, oh my God, it's going to be dreadful. It doesn't sound great, right? And so we've got an awful lot of negative feedback and it kind of was quite demoralizing for the whole team. We all we were all like, oh God, you know, but like, we knew that it really worked because we, we were working on it and, and you know, David came up with this great idea and it was fantastic. But nobody else knew that except us, right? So even though they were getting, we were getting that kind of negative press, we were like, oh, you know, Wait till wait till you see it. So when it got to the unveiling in the, in LA at E3 that that year, with the Orpheum Theatre downtown here, and um, you know, I mean, we, we all knew Mr. Miyamoto was going to was going to show up, but like even even though we knew it, we still jumped out of our skins. You know, it was amazing to see him on stage with Eve with Eve uh, the Eve the uh, Quimo, the, the head guy. Um, uh, it was awesome. And I mean, you know, it's just and everybody in that theatre. The minute we showed the video and how, the, everyone went, oh, and wow, they just loved it from the second they saw it. Like. 
And I kind of feel like it was such a moment of joy for the whole team to see people finally get the thing that we knew about for like three or four years prior to it being coming out, you know. Um, and it kind of, it was such a, a, just a release and a relief for all of us to see people that they got it and thought it was great. And, it, you know, we, we, people were super keen to play it and, and to buy it. And it was really super heartening that, it, you know, it, it turned out the way it did. Because I think prior to it coming out, it was, it, we're all, be, you know, be upset that people were going, oh, God, what a stupid idea this is, you know. And it doesn't sound like a good idea, but until you play it, you kind of go, it really works. All the humor's there. The Ubisoft guys in Milan and Paris have really got the humor. They've got that kind of Banjo-Kazooie humor, if you like, that kind of, you know, it's quite sarcastic, you know, and I feel like it really worked on all levels, like it. It it really does. And it even translates overseas, you know, so it's not just like what we yeah. refer to sometimes as British humor. It's it's like, it's yeah. actually a universal kind of uh, comedy and uh an adventure. It's just it's 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 a really great thing, and you know uh, I played the the heck out of this game, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. Yeah, looking forward to the sequel. In fact, like in fact, I was in the UK last week, and the soundtrack won the Ivan Novello Award for Best Video Game, which is like a, the Ivan Novello is a really a really prestigious British award. Like I couldn't believe it, but it was last Thursday. I only just got back at the weekend, um, and we won the. I mean. For you know, the Ivan Novello Awards are very, are very about the very composer and songwriter centric. It's all about the craft of songwriting and composing, right? So it's super prestigious. It's one of those British things, you know. And I mean, you know, we got nominated. I was like, that's amazing. But we actually won it. I couldn't believe it. Like, just you know, I gave a little speech. I, I kind of burst into tears. It was like one of those. And me and Gareth Coker, we did it together. And Yoko Shimomura did it too. She didn't come, but me and Gareth were there. And um, and like just like. Phenomenal. So you got to get that game bought and play it. Definitely done, done, done. Wow! Congratulations on that. And that's a that's an industry award, right? So that's that's like, right. um, yes, it's yeah, it really is. Like you know, yeah, it's more like it's 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 judged by your peers. Yeah. So and it's very they don't let the cameras in there because like a lot of the speeches get quite emotional and people are cursing quite a lot. You know, it's not <laughs> sure. like kind of not like your BAFTAs, your Oscars, or Emmys. But it's a bit different to that. So it's a very different award. And it, as I say, it's like like Sting was there. Sting got the um, the fellowship award for uh, the highest award that, that, that Ivan Novello can give for his songwriting career, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, you get a lot of that kind of pop starry people there. Um, and they've added video games in the last, I think, five or six years. So, um, uh, and we won it. I mean, honestly, my, my, I gave a little speech. It's on, it's on, my, it's on my social media somewhere. But um, but uh, just unbelievable. I could not believe it. When they called their names, I nearly jumped out of my skin. I mean, it was just like one of those moments in your life you can't believe. Oh my goodness. That's, congratulations. Congratulations. How exciting. How exciting. No, it really was. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It was well-earned. Well well-earned. And uh, I wanted to ask you, if um, if are you working on things right now that you can talk about or, or uh, chat or uh, get us so I'm, uh, so I'm, Right. So I'm just finishing up the DLC for... My Rabbit Sparks of Hope. I'm just doing that right now. I'm nearly finished. I'm, I'm, I would think in the next couple of days we're done with that. So there's two deal. There's a two. There's a DLC two, a DLC three, and DLC three is Rayman. It's got Rayman in it. Uh, so um, and DLC two is coming out very soon. You'll see that. It's, it's very, it's very good fun. But yeah, so yeah, I think I think DLC two must be out pretty soon because it's, it's done. And I've just I've just nearly finished DLC three. So that's what I'm working on right now. So that's so. If you're working on that right now, you just won this incredible prestigious award. Um, are you are you scouting out for specific games, specific companies? Are you reaching out, or are you saying like, "Hey, I'm going to wait till the next, you know, the next one comes down the pipe for me"? No, People no, are... I'm always reaching out. You got to keep shaking the trees, right? 
um, people forget who you are. So, you know, I'm looking for another project right now. So I've not got one yet. So uh, let's see. Let's Fingers crossed I get one or I'll be uh, selling the house. <laughs> copy that. Yeah, copy that. It's, and, you know, that's a good lesson for, for, you know, young people coming up. You know, you've got composers and people that are still in school. Um, that's that's an interesting thing that even at someone at your level and your talents, you're still out there hustling. You're still out there pushing. It's the, the, it's, it's the only way. You, you have to do it. Like, there's no way around it. If you're self-employed like I am, <clears throat> um, you know, you've got to keep checking the trees to make to, be, to people forget who you are. They really do. So uh, it's, a, it's an eternal battle, and you have to just do your best. Wow. Wow, that's very that's very inspirational. And and Grant, what inspires you in your daily life? I don't. I guess you know. I, I, this you know. There's so many great composers out there. You know. I guess you look towards them and say, "I want to try to be as good as they are." You know. And so I, I think I feel like I do call it the curse of aspiration. I feel like I'm never happy. I'm always continually aspiring to be the next, to be better than I am. You know. And so I never. I'm never one of those people that rest on the laurels. I just kind of feel like that's that was then and this is now. And I need to make sure that I get better every time. And I still feel like I'm still learning. So I think that's important. Um, even after 20 odd years, 25 years, whatever it is, I've been work, doing this stuff. You know, I feel like I still learn every time I write something. I feel like I'm getting better. So, um, you know, yeah, when I look to John Williams, who's one of my heroes, I just think, you know, I don't have 1% of his talent. You know, his, his abilities is just stupendous, you know. So, Maybe I'll try to get 2% this time. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, there's plenty of really, really fantastic composers out there that the skill just kind of frightens me how good they are. So, um, you know, I think that I just aspire to be better always. And, I, you know, it, it is a bit, I do call it a curse because I do feel like sometimes it can drag up the wall and it can make you a very miserable person. Um, you know, no matter what you do, no matter what level of, of success you get, however small, however big, there's always something, something next to, stri to strive for. And so I haven't lost that motivation yet. I guess if I lose that, I'll quit. But I haven't lost that motivation yet. I still want to be better than I am. Wow. It's, it reminds me of that Ernest Hemingway quote, right? Like, uh, true, uh, true nobility is not being better than anyone else. It's being better than your former self. Yeah, I've done, I, I think that's totally true. I really feel like, you, you know, if you can keep that spirit about you, I think it will carry you far. And I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that thinks I'm great. I just think I'm all right, you know. So I feel like, you know, I just want to be better. Wow, very humble, very wonderful, and uh, yeah, I can see the John Williams influence. You know, his his brass section is incredible, and he he has those trumpets. You know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones. I yeah. I, mean, I could go on for days. Even the Olympics, right? Oh, He's yeah. got the what Olympics. a great what a great piece that is. That's a great piece, isn't it? <laughs> Phenomenal piece that is. I mean, I, yeah. I tell people all the time, how do you bring the whole world together? Oh, you get John Williams to, to <laughs> make a right, trumpet song. Yeah. That's a great piece of music. That that music is so uplifting that for that that thing you wrote. It's just perfect, you know. Do you write music for fun or do you just uh write it I for don't. work? Not at all. I used to, not anymore. I feel like before I was a composer, like you know, you know, I played in metal bands and all the rest of it, and I, you'd write music for those for that stuff. But since it became my job, that kind of ended really. I don't write music at all. Uh, but I have written two, funny enough, I've written two trombone concertos uh, and um, one for Ian Bowsfield, who's a very famous tenor trombone player, one for Charlie Vernon, who's a very famous bass trombone player from the Chicago Civic Orchestra. Uh, I wrote them each a concerto for those two guys, and that, that was kind of fun. Um, but apart from that, no, that's it. 
So what do you do for fun then, Grant? I don't really feel like I've got any interests outside of my job. I don't feel like I've got any space in my head for anything else. So I used to play golf. I was terrible. But I mean, I, the minute we had kids, that kind of stopped. So that was 20 years ago. So I never really got back into it again. I, my next door neighbor here keeps saying to me, Grant, just come and hit some balls. You know, you know. And I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to go. Cause I, was so, I was bad then. God knows what I'm like now. Um, well, it's you know, the Scottish so, heritage, right? That's the whole well, thing. Yeah, so I guess. So yeah. Um, so I don't know really. I, you know, I really haven't got any interests. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hey, that, I love the interests that you do have, you know, with music because it is it inspires all of us. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've written or worked to your music. It's uh it's just it's just wonderfully inspiring. So I, I'm very grateful of, of all that well, you've I hope done. it helps. Yeah, oh it does. Absolutely. Um my last question here is for all those uh composers out there who are starting, who are finishing, who are building up to something, do you have any tips or tricks for them that they might get to to brush off the cobwebs or get to this uh the final place that they're trying to get to? I get asked that quite a bit. I have a few things I would say about that. And I kind of think that you know, as a, a, a you know, write some music every day, right? Do it every day, like you know, like because I was a staff composer at Rare for thirteen years, nearly. You know, it was a nine till five job, so I got used to turn up at work in the morning, start writing work at nine, finish at five, go home, do the same the next day. And I think it's a great regime to get into. A lot of times, creative people or whatever, you know, sit in a darkened room, wait for the hand of the law to hand them a song, you know, whatever. And I, you know, I'm not like that. I'm very workmanlike. I'll sit down at eight forty-five every morning work till one or two in the afternoon or three, you know, get the groceries, whatever, and then and then work it. And then at night, if I'm busy, I'll do some more. So I feel like, you know, you need to give your, set yourself that time to do it. Don't be that kind of inspiration thing. Like, be workmanlike. Treat it as a job. Like, you know, I'll just, when I write a piece of music, I'll just load up a sample, a clarinet or a French horn or a synthesizer, and I'll just mess around with it until you some chords I like or hear a tune that I like, and then build on that, build on that. And also, I always say, you know, don't look at the mountain that you try to climb. Just take the next step, right? Like take the next little step and just build it. Don't because even me, if I, you know, when I get signed on to do a game, we need to have two hours of music. You're like, oh my god, how am I going to write two hours of music? But you know, just take the next step, right? The next four bars or the next couple of bars, you know. And then before you know it, you start to get to that thing you want to be at, you know. So, you know, and no one writes great music all the time. No one does. You just, you know, you start writing crap, and then you get it gets better. You get the crap out. You start to get better. You get better at your craft, and so. You're not going to get better unless you do it all the time, you know. So make sure you do it every set of time, every day, religiously. Do it every day, whatever time that is that you work best. Do it. Don't miss it. And if you write, even if you write nonsense, doesn't matter. Do the same the next day, you know. And I feel like also, you know, don't argue with the creative director. It's a waste of time. Like it's all very well saying, well, you know, you, they might say they don't like the piece, they they don't like the piece that you've written, right? And if you argued about it, look, it's a great chord theme, it's a great melody, you're just deaf. They're just going to say, I don't care what you say. I don't like it. Like music's subjective, right? You know, it's one of those things that even things that I think that I'm really, really proud of, the girl, I don't like it. I just, just got to start again. You know, don't argue about it because she's going to get fired. There's, a, there's 8 million people stood behind you want your job, right? Don't argue, you're going to get fired. It's just a waste of time. Just get on with it, change it. You know, I, I kind of feel like you're no different to the, to the, mechanic or the gardener or whatever you know you want you hire those guys to do it the way you want it to be the way you want it and people hire me to do it the way they want it to be they probably they hire me because maybe they like things they've done in the past but it doesn't this doesn't mean they're gonna like what right in the future you know so write what they want 
you know, they write what they want. There's no point arguing about it. It's a waste of time. Um, I really feel like sometimes a lot of composers don't get it's a job. It is a job. If you want to write your own stuff, go write a pop song, go write a symphony, great, do what you like. That's your thing. But the minute you get hired by somebody else, you need to do what they want you to do. That's terrific. That's that's terrific. You're right, because I think uh, people, they take too much pride of ownership or uh, they're waiting for that inspiration. And in the meantime, you've lost a job. You've lost yeah, a client. Your own stuff, yeah, if you, write, if you write your own stuff, great. But you write for, for somebody else, you just got to do what they want. or Because you can find somebody else, somebody else right behind you, to get the job like that. It will do what they want. So if you're John Williams or a huge big composer, maybe you can do what you like. But Grant Kirkup can't do that. So you just do what you're asked to do. Uh, Grant, you're, you're so amazing. That's 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 such a wonderful. <laughs> it's such a wonderful sentiment to end on as well. This kind of advice for young people and 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 for budding and and you know even current uh, composers. And I just appreciate your time today and everything that you've shared with us. All these little behind the scenes uh, moments as well. And uh, we look forward to all the music of the future to hear from you. Well, fingers crossed. I keep I keep managing to get jobs, so let's just let's keep hoping. Thank you so much, Grant, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks for Good being done. here.